rather have beer or complete and utter contentment. What kind of beer? You're listening to the DCBeer.com podcast. Hello there, and welcome to the DCBeer.com podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Morrissey. And as always, I'm joined by DCBeer.com co-editor Bill DeBond. I am wearing pants for this episode. We made him. We made him. It's important. We figured about a month in or so we should probably start getting a little bit more professional wearing some pants. It wasn't affecting the sound quality for the first three episodes, but we really think it's going to knock it out of the park, this new addition of my wardrobe. In fact, it may actually improve the sound quality. It may do that, yes. It may. Well, first of all, before we get into today's episode, uh, I do want to share some gratitude with everyone out there. Uh, We've had a great response to the podcast so far. We're really excited that you're all enjoying it. Um, Thank you for all your tweets and your messages and your uh, Facebook posts. We really appreciate it. And and to the guy who stopped me on the street to say, hey, aren't you Bill from DC Beer? And I said, yeah. And he said, you guys should really keep doing the podcast. It's awesome. You know, keep up those interactions on the street. If you see me on the street, feel free to stop me and say whatever you want. If you see anyone that even remotely looks like Bill DeBond, so true. You should tell them to listen to the DC Beer podcast and to keep up the good work. Yes. I think that message of positivity is something that's lacking in the District of Columbia sometimes. That's right. Great. But of course, we want to be able to get our podcast to your ears in as many ways as we possibly can. Of course, the best way to do that is through our social media channels uh, at DC Beer on Twitter and basically anything ending in DC Beer on Facebook, Instagram every other social media platform that we're possibly on at this point. I don't think we're on Snapchat, but we should look into that. That that would be a that would be quite a feat. I don't know that I want to see the end result of that experience actually. I definitely want to see the end. As long as Bill is managing it, I definitely want to see it. God. Of course at dcbeer.com, we post all of our podcasts as soon as they're off uh, the editing board. But a couple of other ways, we have an RSS feed. If you go to dcbeer.com and check out our posts, you'll find an RSS feed. And we also are on Stitcher. If you are an app person and constantly on the go, so if you go to Stitcher and search for uh, the dcbeer.com podcast, you will find that. And of course, that's also on dcbeer.com. So let's get into it. Bill, we're going to open a beer here. The beer that we're drinking today is from Shorts. Uh, Shorts Brewing is located in Michigan. It's uh, in the webbing between the ring finger and the pinky in the left hand of Michigan, uh, if that gives you any sense, uh, in Bel Air, I believe. Um, This is actually Elk Rapids. Yes, yes, Elk Rapids. Elk Rapids. So their production facility is in Elk Rapids, I believe, and their brew pub is in Bel Air, a Midwestern brewery that has a reputation for creating interesting beers uh, and certainly no stranger to the savor world. They definitely always are one of those breweries that brings some interesting beers to savor. One of my favorite memories from Savor Week, actually, was, this is probably three or four years ago now, they did a tap takeover at Church Key that was, I think they brought like 40 beers. And we were all coming back from the Flying Dog Symposium that they do every year to talk about like issues in the craft beer industry. And everyone on that bus made a beeline to Church Key because the reputation of shorts was such and the variety of beers they had brought was such that it really was like a crown jewel event for that week. So 
Yeah, I mean, Schwartz definitely has this reputation that's uh, very much on the level of, uh, you know, Nuclearis and uh, breweries like that that are very strong regional breweries that you don't often see outside of uh, the region. It's certainly not available uh, in D.C. uh, regularly. Uh, We, of course, are fortunate enough to have a bottle here. But what we're drinking today, actually, is a beer from them called Freedom of 78, which is an IPA. That has, according to Shorts, a wonderful bright clarity and a pleasing bronze hue. Those both those things are true. It, it is very true. Very strong. Out of this bronze. Yes, it's a very pretty looking beer, and it's a very interesting smelling and tasting beer as well. Huge citrus, huge fruit. Not your typical IPA. We're talking about nectarine, honey, and just a little bit of bitterness at the end, which is very nice. Well, and it's, it, is, I mean, it is brewed with pink guava, so that is a, an addition that you... Uh, pink guava, as far as I know, not native to the state of Michigan, but, <laughs> um, you know, apparently they got their hands on it. Um, I, we should mention that this is actually a collaboration with Half Acre in Chicago, super well-respected. The palate on here, the guava really, really comes through. I mean, sometimes when, when breweries do fruit beers... They leave you wanting on on the fruit. This actually, I feel like I would like to be dialed back a little bit. It's actually overwhelming the rest of the profile of the beer. It's a little oppressive on the nose, for sure. I think we both had the same reaction when we kind of uh, first put our nose to the glass of, whoa. That said, I think it's a really nice way to do an IPA that is a non-traditional way to do an IPA. I know we've talked on the podcast before um, during the Beer Madness conversation all the way back in episode one mm-hmm. where you know Green Flash was really there and it was rocking the competition. Mm-hmm. This is a, something that's new and while it's a little bit different, I certainly respect the decision to kind of go in a different direction. Um, you're taking kind of a you know pretty stereotypical profile of 7%, 70 IBU, mm-hmm. IPA, you know, medium body. Most breweries in America that are of a certain size are going to be making a beer that's similar in statistics to this. So yeah. it's interesting to see them going and trying something new. Well, you're, and you're, you're seeing breweries try this model a little bit more. Uh, Dogfish Head obviously has had Aprihop for a long time as a seasonal IPA with apricots added to it but then even flying dog with bloodline right has added the blood orange to it adding kind of this this citrusy fruits kind of adds you know to the profile of the beer going guava is kind of out there right if if you can say you're being aggressive by adding pink guava sure but um absolutely i mean I, i think it's it's an interesting beer and Shorts never disappoints to find interesting ways to make new beer. Mm-hmm. So that said, this is actually kind of an interesting example because what we want to talk about today is how do we decide and how do you people decide on what beers to buy? And I think you know we'll get into kind of the differences between buying a beer in a retail setting and buying a beer at a bar and even buying a beer uh, on site at a brewery or a brew pub. But... Bill, maybe you want to start off this conversation and go through a little bit about what your rationale is when you look to buy beer in a retail environment. Sure. So I actually, it's interesting, I wrote a piece about this for the site in 2013, actually May 2013, so this is about two years ago, and it's really interesting how kind of my my logic on this has shifted a little bit. 
I don't so much. I mean, when I was first getting into craft, I used to go look for whatever was new, right? I would pick that off the shelf. And that, I think, is still really important, no matter how long you've been drinking craft beer, to go out and try new things. But I got really tired of getting burned by beer that I didn't know about pulling it off the shelf. So now, you know, you have to have, for me, either not have burned me too badly in the past. You know, you have to make beers that... If I don't, even if I don't love them, I at least generally, you know, tend to think they're, you know, cromulent, you know, but that can be overcome if the description of the beer on the, on the bottle has enough, like, it seems like it would be my wheelhouse, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, over the weekend I bought a 12 pack of Saranac and, you know, I've, I've, my wife is from upstate New York and I've had Saranac plenty of times, not normally in my rotation that I would buy. But they had this seasonal red IPA that had Simcoe and Citra and rye in it. And I like red IPA as a style. I like all those descriptors. So I took a flyer on. I bought 12 beer. I bought 12 beer variety pack on the basis of this one beer. Mm-hmm. Didn't work out so well for me. Um, it's, it's fine. I mean, it's not, it's not knocking my socks off. But I think my like, past history with a beer is certainly, or with a brewery is certainly a, a predictor of whether or not I would pull it off the shelf. Mm-hmm. You know, some other things are. You know, am I going to a party, right? Like, who am I sharing these beers with? If I'm going to a party, I'm probably not going to pull something super dark or super, super hoppy. Because even as craft beer continues to grow, there are still a lot of folks out there who aren't about those flavors. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that you bring this up because I think people tend to think when they go, in whatever situation they're in, uh, when they go into a retail environment... Um, there's a kind of reduction in terms of, well, I'm going to go buy some beer, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go buy a six-pack of beer. And it should not, you know, I think a lot of people don't view it as a complicated thing. But you and I sat down for literally two minutes before this podcast, and we listed out all of the kind of permutations, right, that could be involved. And in, in two minutes, literally 120 seconds, we came up with nine different metrics Within which there were several permutations, right? So we're not talking about, like, a yes or no. Right. Some of them are, certainly. But some of them, like, intended audience, right? Mm -hmm. When you say, okay, I'm going to a store and I'm going to purchase a case of beer for a party, or if I want to purchase a six-pack of beer for my own personal consumption, that could run the gamut between, like, an infinite number of possibilities, Mm -hmm. right? So... It's really interesting to kind of break this down and think about when the last time you went to a store, like what you did with Saranac, Mm -hmm. that's an incredibly unique experience to yourself Oh yeah. that I don't know a lot of people actually think about. And I certainly don't think about all the time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, some, some things though are pretty yes or no, right? When it comes to local beer... Mm-hmm. Does that play into your thought process when you go to buy beer at a retail establishment? Like whether or not it's local, does that right. affect like let's the say to buy it? Let's say all things being equal, style, mm-hmm. price, everything like that, and there's a local beer and a non-local beer. Mm-hmm. Does that play into your thought process, or do you just kind of go with your gut? No, I think it does. I mean, if if I walk into you know Peach Street Whole Foods, which in quick plug it has just a tremendous beer selection if I walk in there and I want an IPA and I see that they've got really fresh brow corruption and 
more importantly, you know that because brow date stamps their their cans, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Then I might be more likely to buy that brow corruption because one, I know it was made right here. The price is probably better on it, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I know that it, it may be fresher than something from out of town that doesn't have a date stamp. Mm-hmm. Obviously, IPA, right? There's when you have a craving for your favorite IPA. I, that's just what it is sometimes. You want it too hard, you're going to get too hard. When, when you're not looking for your pink guava when IPA. Not, that's correct. Which, believe it or not, there <laughs> are some times when I am not looking for a pink guava IPA. I know it's, it's hard to believe out there, but it's true. I think you're absolutely right, though. I think, uh, I, I think to a certain extent, I mean, me personally, I will definitely take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. Actually, for me, less of a kind of, you know, proximity... And more of a local thing, right? Given the opportunity, you know, all things being equal, right? You'd probably, or I would probably... Keep the money here. Yeah. Well, I would probably rather support a local brewery, all things being equal. Mm -hmm. Granted, that's very rarely ever the case. (laughs) Things to hold equal. Yeah, yeah. Especially with beer. Mm -hmm. But definitely. I mean, if there is brow can um, or... In another format, you know, a three stars bottle mm-hmm. or an Atlas can or something like that. Yeah, sure. You know, why not keep that here? I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that a lot of those beers are really good beers as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly not, you know, something where I would buy a local beer just because it was local if it wasn't good. And and honestly, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. A great example of this is Champion okay. out of uh, Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. Definitely have bought their beer based on the fact that they are quasi-local, mm-hmm. right? But have definitely been, in the past, disappointed slightly with some of that beer. And so that's kind of eliminated that preferential treatment, right? Mm-hmm. And you remember that next time, you're, next time you're there. Absolutely. And it's no knock on those guys. Yeah. It's just the way it is sure. in an incredibly competitive marketplace. When you have to make mm-hmm. one decision and you're going to a competent beer uh, retail establishment... Mm-hmm. You're looking at at least, what, 50, 60 different options mm-hmm. in many cases, even at like a supermarket, yep. that can make the difference, right? It's a very, very thin margin. So that's a really good point, and I think that's actually going to get a lot harder as um, more and more breweries open up, especially in Virginia. I just heard about another brewery opening in Virginia this week. But so the, those kind of past experiences and, and, and brewery reputation – you know, some of these some of these other characteristics on the periphery are going to start coming into play a lot more. Like, for example, you you mentioned cans earlier. Much more likely to buy a six pack of cans than a four mm. pack of cans. Mm-hmm. Um, four pack of cans is going to be generally more expensive, even if it's the same. Well, it'd be less volume. If, even if it's four tall boys, it's sixty four ounces versus seventy two. Right. But you know, I like to have beer for when people come over. Mm-hmm. So. I tend to get six packs because that represents more beer that I can share with, mm. with people, right? So that also goes back to the, what, what is the environment that I'm drinking this in, mm-hmm. right? If I if I am going to a house party, I'll totally get, I'll totally get two six packs versus two four packs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You could potentially share that with, seven, with 11 other people versus seven people. I think it's a really interesting thing because I was just thinking about this. My local bottle shop has been carrying... Tall Boys of Nugget Nectar. Mm-hmm. And also before that, they were some of the first people to get the Tall Boys of Two Hearted. Um, and those are beers that I buy frequently because I know that their quality is high. But I found myself actually more and more buying more four packs of 16 ounce cans huh. than I have 
Like, for example, at this bottle shop, you can certainly buy a six-pack of bottles Mm -hmm. of Two-Hearted. I I don't know. There's something just... And it might just be a subjective matter of taste. You know, it's for personal consumption, right? I do see what you're saying, though, that it would... It's a bad look if you walk into a party with, like, eight beers as opposed to 12 beers. That's just a generally bad luck. Yeah. Something else that's really shifted for me on this in the past couple of years is I used to I, one of my one of my like prime factors used to be looking at ABV to price, mm-hmm. and if something was seven one and ten ninety nine versus like four five and ten ninety nine, I was always going with seven one because mm-hmm. like it was something like a more like bang for your buck kind of thing, mm-hmm. and. <clears throat> I think part of that is that I, I'm getting older and drinking beer is not just to uh, get drunk anymore. <laughs> uh, but the other part of that is that there's a proliferation of styles now that I really appreciate that are lower alcohol, right? That you know, I really will crave a Kolsch the way that I didn't a couple of years ago. Or I'll crave a Berliner Weiss. And there are good Berliner Weiss or Gosa out there that you can now buy in cans and bottles, whereas three or four years ago, you couldn't get Gosa. Sure. I mean, I think that's a function of increased availability Mm -hmm. in general, but I think you're hitting on something that a lot of people, especially when they're just getting into beer experience, which is price at a retail level is the main driving Mm -hmm. component. I mean, we certainly hear... You know, we put out calls for, like, what do you want us to talk about on the podcast? And a lot of that stuff is pricing. Mm-hmm. Why Why does this beer cost this much? Why does X beer cost this much in the same style but from a different brewer but at the same ABV costs a dollar less, costs a dollar more? Mm-hmm. So for me, I think most people use price as one, the number one determinant. Mm-hmm. And then, like, other things maybe like 1B or 2A and 2B, Um, but I think what you're saying is very common in a lot of people's experience, right? Because when you are just getting into it, you want to get the most bang for your buck, right? Mm -hmm. Especially with the cost of high-quality beer. If you're someone who is used to, you know, I was when I was in college, we just bought whatever the cheapest beer was, which was probably, like, cases of Lion's Head Mm -hmm. for, like, $11, Mm -hmm. right? Which now seems hilarious as I go and purchase four Nugget Nectar Tall Boys for like fourteen dollars, sure. right? But I do think that that changes over time, and I think that if you started to get into beer, you know, five years ago, you've really benefited from your kind of personal evolution has occurred at the same time as this evolution that you were just talking about is happening. So the other thing that that I guess. I used to think about more, but now think about a little bit less is, am I sharing these beers with like beer people? Right? Like I I used to have this fear that I was going to show up to a party and there was going to be like, you know, 40 Aaron Morrissey's and best party of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Lots and lots of Simpsons quotes of that one, but not, I didn't want to be judged by like what I was going to bring. Right. Cause I wasn't really confident in like, my knowledge about craft beer or like the industry it's like oh so you're still drinking that huh cool <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't i didn't want that judgment actually when i the post from two years ago that was my number two really? criteria on this list really and now 
I would just be like, well, I'm, I'm going to bring what I want to bring, and if I'm the only one who likes it, cool, more for me. Yeah, I guess what I would say to that is if you're listening and you have that fear, uh, don't, for starters, drink, bring what you want to drink and drink what you want to drink. Uh, and if people don't like it, that's cool. But it's worth trying. Um, and if they're really giving you that hard of a time about it, I probably would stop drinking beer with those yeah, people. Maybe don't hang out with them anymore. The more, I feel like we should try to like superimpose like, a, like an NBC, the more you know kind of rainbow <laughs> over this. <laughs> that concludes your public service announcement for the day. Don't 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 let don't beer, give me the beer bu- bullies. Yeah, don't let beer bullies run your life. Okay. I you know personally though I think you know we've hit on some really interesting things. A couple of things that I think about a lot, and I don't know if it's just as my personal. When I was a kid, my uncle worked for Nabisco, and he would come to the family reunions and barbecues, and he would explain how. He was a sales rep on the road, and he would go have meetings with, you know, uh, regional grocery managers and all that. But he said basically what he would do is when he was on an overnight, he would actually go to the local supermarket uh, and actually move the Nabisco cookie products to the eye level and move the other products down. uh, Because there is a science about that, right? Sure, absolutely. So... One thing that's interesting to me, though, and it's kind of getting the nitty-gritty, is that that definitely happens with beer. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, I, and it's really weird, I was at the Harris Teeter uh, at First and, or North Cap and M, or maybe First and M Northeast, right? It's like one of these new Harris Teeters, and we went in to get a, uh, you know, like a 12-pack of beer to drink or whatever, and I was amazed because you're walking down, and actually on like four end caps, they had beer displays, and yeah. to get to some of the beer that I was interested in drinking, you had to actually like kind of wind your way around the store and also go through like the wine section or go through a frozen food section uh, to get to that kind of beer, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. And so placement to me is super interesting, especially in a place like D.C., because you're talking about a city that has a lot of medium to high quality bottle shops where you're going to have a lot of choice. And if you're in a hurry, you're going to walk in and look to like the first or the second, you know, refrigerator Mm -hmm. and then grab whatever is convenient to you. Um, Which in a lot of cases I've noticed is like seasonal beers. It's high margin beers, um, a lot of Schmay, a lot of Belgians, um, things of that nature. Um, but, you know, for example, even at my local, if you want that 15-pack of all-day IPA, you have to walk to the back of the bottle shop, grab your 15-pack, and then walk all the way back. Well, and this is, this is a conversation for another podcast, but what winds up on the end cap certainly does not happen by chance. And oh, sure. It, and it's not, it's not the preference of the, the – well, it's not always the preference of the beer monger, it's depending on the size of the place. It's seldom the preference of the beer monger that's that's deciding what's there, absolutely right? not. I mean, yeah. this is like this is like a bottom line thing. I mean, this is where your relationship with your rep comes in, your the influence of your distributor. Sure. There's all kinds of other things at play here. Absolutely, you know. But it does make a difference. Oh yeah. And I think you know, I think it's something. It's almost like human nature, right? Which actually, I think, is really interesting as we kind of shift to talk about buying beer at a bar mm-hmm. as opposed to at a retail establishment. Menus, the way that menus are lined out, uh, the way that people think about presenting different beers in different ways is mm-hmm. 
obviously a vital part to kind of making that decision, especially when you're talking about places like Church Key, like Meridian Pint, like Paradiso, where... If like more than 10 choices, you're getting into that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, when you have to flip a menu over, I'm not saying it is the case for everybody, but it's certainly the case for some people who come in and, you know, maybe they don't even know that there is another side to the menu. Maybe they even even think to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same way in a lot of people don't even know to ask for a bottle list. Sure. At a lot of places. Yeah. I was at Church Key like two weeks ago, and I walked in and I said, hey, can I see the bottle list? And the woman next to me was like, what is that? Well, it's such a church key that's so funny because it's like, oh, the the entire wall of of glass walled refrigerators, right? Those are just for show. These, this is just for display. They're all actually they filled with arsenic. I wouldn't order them if I were you. Really? I I know. I I just was, oh, I said, well, yeah, you know, there's <laughs> there's a bottle list. They're all right there. And and actually, I think I led around for about five minutes and letting her think that I was able to know all of the bottles just by sight. That was fun. Playing with the natives. But mean. Yeah. Well, but she she got it and was like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I would never even thought to ask mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. Right? What do you think about What do you think about when you go to order uh, a beer at a, at a bar like Church Key? So the threshold is certainly much lower, right? Especially at a Church Key or any, any fine drinking establishment because of usually the at the availability of four ounce pours mm-hmm. right so that's a very low um barrier to entry and i'm i would be much more inclined to try something out that i maybe have an inkling that i'm not gonna like but is intriguing enough for me to actually consider it on premise than off because mm-hmm. if i have if i have to buy a six pack of something that i really don't like off i gotta either you know drink that myself which I mean, I guess there are worse fates than having to drink beer. Or, you know, i got to force it on someone like you, which is not really the nicest thing to do either. <laughs> so, you know, four-ounce four is definitely definitely huge. But you can also, I mean, you can always talk to the bartender and say, hey, you know, what what's your opinion about this? And in general, that's something that people don't do enough. Mm-hmm. That if you have questions, ask. These, these folks are behind the bar for, like, 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. They, like, are very thoughtful about how does this compare to that? And like, what do you normally like to drink? Well, all right, based on what you told me, I have a good sense that you're either going to or not going to like this beer. Yeah. Or if all that fails, they'll take a shot glass, pour you an ounce and a half of it, and just let you try it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think we're very blessed here in that we have operations that do a lot of in-house education uh, and really take pride in knowing the products that they're serving. Not that it doesn't happen everywhere, but I think a lot of people uh, think about it in a way that if I ask too many questions, much in the same way that when you used to think about, am I bringing the right beer to this party? If I ask too many questions, I'm going to be that person. Mm -hmm. That's not the case at all. We all do that. I ask so many questions all the time, and maybe it makes me look like an idiot. It doesn't. Like Everyone's answered my questions to the best of their ability. Sure. And it's helped me a lot, which I think, you know, obviously the, 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 you know, benefit of going to a bar is you pay a little bit more, or in some cases a lot more, but you do get to sample things mm-hmm. one to one to one. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, you know, you're paying for the extra privilege of that. 
if you're gonna do that, and I think that's most of the, that's pretty much the way everybody in the world sees bars, right? If you're not asking questions, then you're kind of at a, you're not you're not utilizing that advantage yeah. to your advantage. You're paying. You are paying right. for that information to be there. Right. That is totally built into the cost of your beer. Yep. So you should be taking advantage of it. You know the the other part of it is though on the, the asking questions thing. You can be that guy. If you go mm-hmm. into a beer bar on a Saturday night and it's three deep, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Well, can you explain? Can you can we talk about the nuances of like this versus that?" The bartender is gonna is gonna try to have that conversation with you, mm-hmm. but in that moment, you're not gonna get the answer that you might expect or, or want, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean, you also have to be thoughtful about like what the context is, right? And if you're if you're someone who is don't and for the love of God, don't be this person. But if you're that person who's like stepping up to the bar going like, Aaron, Aaron, I got more questions for you. You know, you're snapping your fingers and like calling the guy a jabroni. Probably not going to get the best insight yeah. on like on the quality of the beer. Yeah, and of course, there's definitely that line too where yeah. be an informed consumer, but don't be an entitled consumer. Yes. Right? Just get your four ounces and then wait your turn. Mm-hmm. It's busy. Mm-hmm. You are not the only person that are asking questions. I am asking questions. You are asking questions. We're all asking questions. So yeah, just you know, we're trying to clean glassware. We're trying to get food menus in. Yeah. We're trying to run food. Like there's there are things that all go into the operation of yeah this whole experience. But it's not. It shouldn't be intimidating. And you know, worst case, you can email Bill and he'll go with you and ask questions with you. <laughs> yeah. I'll make you look so good by comparison. And so, a bill at dcbeer.com. The, the, the other part of it, though, and I, this is something else that shifted, is I used to go to bars pretty much exclusively to try new beer, right? To, to mm-hmm. figure out what was out there. And that was, that was the role of going out was, well, I haven't had all these things, and I want to check these th- I want to check these things off, right? I want to say that I, I t- checked into them on Untapped or whatever it is. I want to say that I, that I had these beers. So that's that's a much different mentality in terms of how you order than if you go because you want to just hang out with your friends, mm-hmm. right? So it used to be that I would never order like a two-hearted out. Maybe that's a lie. I ordered a lot of two-hearted out, <laughs> I guess. But I, I would try not to order beers that I knew super well because I felt like if the barrier to entry was lower on new beers, right. then I should be taking advantage of that right there. Right. Now, I largely go out because... I want to see folks, like, you know, just sure. relax, like, have the social aspect of being in a bar. And in that instance, I actually don't want to think so much about it. So I'm much more inclined to be like, yeah, let me get a, let me get a Prima Pills. Let me get a Two-Hearted, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, I wrote a whole piece about this. Like, it's whether, you know, mm-hmm. what is the more valuable experience, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think I'm still predisposed to when I go somewhere at a bar – to order something that I haven't tried before, mm-hmm. that's just because I'm stubborn sure. and I want to try things. That said, I have absolutely no hang-up about going anywhere and ordering a beer that I've had a million times before mm-hmm. that I know and like because I'm because it's there, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. as long as you can balance that, I think it's you know it's fine. There's no wrong way to do it. Some of that shifts as the evening goes on too, right? Oh, Your first couple beers might want you might want to do new beers, and then it's like, all right, my palate's starting to get a little fatigued on me. 
I like I'm, like tired of like looking at this menu a million times trying to analyze it. Yeah, let me get like Prima Pills and just keep saying the Prima Pills now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, sty- it's a big thing for me stylistically, mm-hmm. right? At a certain point in the evening, I'm just not going to drink any more Imperial Stouts. I'm, That's I'm, good. That's good self-preservation. I'm, I'm, I'm going to probably drink some Pilsners and Kolsch's uh, and, and kind of wheat, uh, wit beers, mm-hmm. just because if I don't, it's going to be problems. <laughs> yeah. Then you really start asking all kinds of bad questions of bartenders and it gets ugly. Exactly. Exactly. Great. So I think we want to wrap this excellent conversation up with an example of a beer that transcends all of this, right? Mm -hmm. What is a beer that you buy all the time just because? And I should should rephrase this. It's this is not what's the best beer of all time, Mm -hmm. right? That's a totally different thing. Sure. Because a lot of the best beers of all time, if I bought them all the time, I wouldn't be recording this podcast because I'd be living in the gutter, (laughs) right? There is that, yes. Great. Let's let's order 1989 Driefontaine sure. uh, all the time. All Thomas Hardy, all the time. And in 12 minutes, I'll be broke. Sure. So, but reasonable beers that you buy all the time just because. You know, some of these are obvious, right? Some of, some of these are sure. things that we've already mentioned a million times on, on this podcast. I mean, the Two Hearted of the World, Prima Pills, Lagunitas IPA, but... Something that has recently made my rotation that if I see it on if I see it at the bar, I'm almost guaranteed to order it, and if I see a six pack of it, I'm almost guaranteed to pick it up. Is Union Old Progosa? Mm. Just when I come home from work, it's what I really like. I mean, it's fantastic at a bar. You can have. I mean, it's only it's under five percent. Mm-hmm. It's super refreshing. You can you can be there for a while drinking it. It's reasonably priced, so I mean, that certainly is something that has has worked its way into my rotation pretty pretty quickly. Um, you know, Strongbow used to be up there until they changed the formula. Mm. Strongbow, that's a just a tragedy. Yeah, that's a whole other that's one of the podcast recipe change. <sighs> the worst, oh yeah, the worst thing is that they have all these ads on television now. You know, you never think they would have needed to advertise for Strongbow before because we were buying so much of it. And now that they changed the formula, it's, they couldn't advert. If they if every advertisement was a Strongbow advertisement, I still wouldn't purchase it. The only thing you need to drink a Strongbow is a glass of ice. It's like, well, oh, holy Christ, really? Well, then I'm going dry because I'm definitely not drinking that much more Strongbow. Our product is okay, but you should definitely water it down. <laughs> well, Patrick Stewart's involved then. I mean, really, what choice do you have? There isn't, like, 300 other ciders to buy. You know, for me, it's a lot of the same. You know, we talked about Two-Hearted. I talked about Nug and Nectar. Premium Pills, of course. Uh, Schlafly Kolsch. Oh, yeah. The fact that Schlafly ESB is going to be discontinued is heartbreaking to me. I love that beer. A lot of beers on-premise that I will buy without blinking an eye are uh, British cask beers Anything from Adnams or uh, like Constant Bluebird is like um every time I'm in Church Key they know that they can put that on because I'll probably just drink the rest of it. Yeah, you know some there are definitely some local beers that kind of get get almost to that level. I've mentioned Atlas District Common on this podcast before. Uh, I buy that beer quite a bit uh, at my local shop. You know what else? There's a lot of other beers that could fit this mold, but like I think we've hit most of them. Old Pro Goza is excellent. I would highly recommend that if you haven't done that. I mean, like, Union makes a lot of these beers, actually. Duck this, pin. this is a whole you know, double duck pin. 
even like Blackwing, the Black Logger oh, yeah, is really good. good. Yeah. yeah, Union, they're really good. We should we should talk to those guys. Yeah. <laughs> Union, we're coming for you. We could talk about their M and T Bank commercial too. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, like Allagash beers very often mm-hmm. hit that for me. Whether it's white, um, I just went out buy a lot on premise, but not yeah. all for whatever reason. Yeah, that's probably just a you know fact that you probably don't want to drink wit beers as much as other yeah, styles of beer. Fair. But yeah, uh, like anytime you see Allagash, because you know it's going to be a quality product, mm-hmm. um, and they have just a wide variety. Um, I'm not, you know, one surprising one for me is now that summer's coming. I drink so much Heller High watermelon in the summertime. I really do. I, you know what? Oh God, no. Phil says no. I can drink so well, and you know what? We'd really be remiss if we don't bring up Rattler. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And a lot of Boulevard beers as well. I think Tank Seven, um, Eighty Acre, Eighty Acre, Unfiltered. A lot of those beers as well, and they have a Rattler coming out as well, which I'm sure is in cans in, in, in twelve cans, cans, which I'm sure is going to be in our fridge as soon as it gets here. Per, per usual, the the message here on the podcast is that, you know, there, there's an abundance now of stuff that we can buy that we just did not have, you know, three or four years ago even. We really collectively ducked the hell out of this question. What What's an example of a beer, and then we named 16 different beers from several breweries? I mean, if, if, you, if you want to guarantee that I will buy a beer on or off-premise, put Old Pro Ghost out there. I mean that's that's what that's what it'll be. I would say Old Pro, Two Hearted, and Miller High Life would be those in, in those three. It's got to be Prima Pills in there for me. It has to be. Uh, being being from Philadelphia, it's, yeah, okay. it's like a yeah. You got that. You got well, that, and then that whole thing. oh god, we haven't we haven't even scratched the surface, Bill. Like some of these Great Lakes beers. Oh yeah. Like some Founders beers. Stormwinter Gold. Yeah, Reds IPA. Shit. I mean... Now I'm thirsty. Yeah, so what we're going to do is we're going to drink some more beer. And we hope that you're drinking a beer, too, uh, if you can, if you're not at your office or, you know, in your car or on the metro. Please don't drink beer on the metro. That's weird. Don't drink beer in any of those instances unless you have a really cool office. And if so, please let us know so that yeah, know, we'll we, come can, over. we can swing by your place and, and bring some of these beers. We'll bring our own standing desks and beanbag chairs. Oh, it'll be great. It'll be great. Great podcast. Yeah. Bill, as always. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And again, dcbeer.com has all the information that you need. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and, and make sure to subscribe to the RSS and uh, Stitcher. Don't forget that as well. Uh, for Bill DeBon. Bye. I'm Aaron Morrissey, DC Beer Podcast. Have a great one. Cheers. <laughs>